You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. It's three-day minicamp. Begins later today. Our next guest, Joel A. Erickson, will be out there for that one. Joel, I do want to begin with a question non-necessarily minicamp related. That would be DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, Just got done with the visit of the Titans. I think the Patriots up next. Clearly, those two teams I don't think would fall in a Super Bowl contending category. Um, How would you view a Colts-DeAndre Hopkins conversation about potential interest? Just given the fact that, again... He seems to be rather content with Mac Jones and Ryan Tannehill or Will Levis being his quarterbacks. Uh, that'd be interesting. I mean, it'd be interesting to see how they how they worked him in. Uh, you know, in terms of, uh, I feel like obviously you could you could there's a spot that you could slide him in. It's DeAndre Hopkins. There's a spot you could slide him into almost any receiver room. I'm I'm with you. I'm surprised that it's the Titans and the Patriots and he's not. Like for me, it would have been my list would have been Buffalo and Kansas City, and then I would, if they hadn't talked to me, I would have, I would have gone, you know, like okay, so who's who's the next best quarterback with a with a Super Bowl chance? Um, I, I think I like it even more for the Colts if it's if it would be a more than one year deal. Um, I don't know if I'd want him here on a one year deal where he's he's gone next year. Just you know, assuming that you know Anthony Richardson is probably better in his second year than he is in his first year, but. But yeah, if he's if he's open, it's DeAndre Hopkins. He's he's great. Would you have any reservations about it stunting an Alec Pierce growth, or are you of the mindset who cares? Support Anthony Richardson with a veteran wideout. Um, I think I think that that's that's possible. But in the NFL, you kind of just go with the best player, and if if Pierce is going to make a leap, he'll make a leap no matter what. Um. You know, and I think I think that that's possible. I wrote about that yesterday. That that you know, he actually had a pretty good rookie season compared to uh, uh, recent Colts rookie seasons at wide receiver, and and maybe it's in there. It's uh, I think the harder part is if if the offense looks the way um, we think it's going to look with with if Richardson's in there and they're running the ball a lot, and maybe it's not as much of a throwing offense right away. You know. Is then I would want to worry about you know getting everybody some some targets, but if if the Colts were going for it, I think you go for for DeAndre Hopkins. If, well, if not, then maybe you sit back and, and wait. Wouldn't Hopkins' options though be as I mentioned to Kevin earlier? You know, you could look at it and go, well, that, those are two peculiar teams, New England and Tennessee. Isn't he looking to go to the team that has the most flexibility to pay him? I I think flexibility to pay him, and I think the other thing is like if you look at those two teams, there's not like an obvious number one target. Um, where where there's where he can't where he he'd be sharing time with like a Stephon Diggs, right? Um, you know, so uh, I think that's 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 the first thing, two things that jump out about those teams. Again, still still a little surprised that it's not like the Kansas Cities of the world that he's going for. Um, but but maybe they maybe they swoop in late. Who knows? Joel Erickson for the Indianapolis Star. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Three day mini camp. Really, the only thing different about the mini camp versus the OTAs is it's mandatory. Again, participation still extremely high in the OTAs. But this will conclude the Colts offseason program. Joel, we're a week into the Isaiah Rogers um, situation. Nothing on a punishment. Do you read anything into the lack of a free agent cornerback move by the Colts so far? No, I don't because, like, the guys that are out there are probably still going to be out there. Uh, 
you know, they, they, if they've made it to this, this far into June, then there's not necessarily a ton of competition for their services at whatever price point they want to get. So I think you could make a, I think you can make a move whenever you have to. Um, and, and I think that, I think that, I mean, I think it's possible the team is waiting for the NFL to finish its investigation before it makes a decision and opens a roster spot, you know? Um, so I, I, yeah, I, these guys have made it all the way into June still as free agents. Some of them are probably going to get signed in August. That's, I, I don't necessarily think it matters uh, in terms of what's going on with the investigation. Well, my assumption, Joel, and, and tell me if this assumption is the dumbest thing you've heard. My assumption is that it's in the Colts' best interest to wait for the league to come out with a ruling or some sort of evidence of their investigation on Isaiah Rogers because if he is under some sort of a suspension or even like being banned from the league, that there would be financial flexibility that's afforded to them by his departure as opposed to as if they just cut him outright. Well, I I think that assumption is correct. That's that's the assumption I've been operating on as well, that, that if the league comes down with an investigation, that I also think that there's maybe a possibility that, you know, once discipline is handed down, if you make a decision, then maybe you don't have as many you don't have issues with the NFLPA. I don't know how that works, um, but the PA is there to, you know, sort of protect player interests in situations like these. And so I wonder if that's if that's part of it too is is waiting for the NFL to finish its investigations so that you know everything's kind of crossed and dotted and, and you get what you want. Um, I, I'd have to look at the contract to know exactly what it says about. Um, gambling conduct and stuff like that but it is possible that there's there's some flexibility there okay Joel erickson is with us here from the indianapolis star joel you would know this better than i but i don't think you have any colts that are sitting out this minicamp due to contractual reasons i know that's you know sometimes we saw with kenny moore last year we've seen it with a handful of guys around the nfl right now i don't think that's the case with any colt um having said that what are the storylines that you think are a little bit more pertinent this time of year. I, I'll throw one just kind of general one at you. What I like about getting to minicamp is now we get to watch whatever, 20 straight practices in a row this week and then into training camp. So, you know, in, in the past few weeks, we've only been able to watch one of three or four sessions each week. So it's harder to kind of see how trends go. Okay, what is Minshew doing rep-wise? What's Richardson doing rep-wise? You know, do you see starting lineup changes on a day-in, day-out um, sort of thing? So uh, that's what I kind of like about minicamp is now we get into a cycle of, all right, you know, 15, 20 straight practices for us. I'm curious, anything on your mind for the next few days? Yeah, I, I'm with you. I like that it's a couple of days in a row. I mean, you asked the question last week to Shane Steichen, you know, why has Minshew been getting all the first-team reps? And he said, essentially said, well, you know, it just goes day-to-day. And if you guys were out here a different day, maybe you see it different. Well, we're going to see it. So um, that's one of the things I'm interested in, especially after they, what, what he said the first time about giving – Richardson first team reps. That was always the plan. That's what we want to do. Um, you know, we're going to see three days in a row. The only three days they're doing this week. I think that's one of the things that I have on my on my list. Not that it means anything necessarily huge long term for whether or not you know Richardson is going to be. Um, you know, like whatever whatever you say anything about Richardson, people are like, "Well, don't be out on him completely, or don't be in on him completely." It's like that's not that's not where we're at. I just want to know. He said it was important to them to get him first-team reps. Is he still getting them? You know, 
And I think that that's, that's a big key. Like you said, the lineup stuff is interesting. Um, I, I, I will say I don't necessarily take injuries or guys sitting out at this point. Uh, you maybe, maybe you mark them down in your notebook as, okay, this is something to watch once we get to training camp. But my understanding is that just about every NFL team at this point, if a guy has anything going on at all, they just hold him out and make sure he doesn't hurt it worse. And so, you know, I don't necessarily know that when we report, you know, these guys are in, these guys are out of practice, that it's automatically a reason for uh, jumping off the cliff. It, it just means that, you know, they've got some something nagging going on. And, you know, when, when they're out for a couple of weeks in training camp, that's when it's time to start getting worried. Joel, this is a – Joel A. Erickson is our guest. He's on the Payless Liggers Hotline. This is a sneaky, important next few months – in terms of getting ready for camp because it's going to be a more important camp for this player than people are talking about. And I don't mean like Shaquille Leonard, and I don't mean, you know, obviously Isaiah Rogers because we know what the, the uncertainty there, and I don't mean Anthony Richardson. The guy off radar that probably right now is feeling the most heat on him or knows there's the most scrutiny internally for his performance of the next few months is who? Um, well, I, what I think, I think the guy that, that maybe that, that his signing was a big deal. And I think that maybe in terms of a contract and, and what the Colts have done in the draft since then, uh, puts his spot a little bit more tenuous is Isaiah McKenzie. Um, you know, he didn't, it's not like he signed for a, a big free agent contract. He signed for essentially what, what essentially is a better minimum. And they've kind of brought in like a bunch of different, you know, receiver types um, and guys who've got some some experience. I mean, not necessarily great experience, but they brought in a bunch of guys who've got some experience. So I think that that, that receiver battle beyond uh, Pittman-Pierce-Downs could go a lot of different ways. Shane Steichen told us at the owners' meetings that he likes receivers who have different body types and different skill sets, and McKenzie certainly has that. Um, but, you know, does it fit what they're doing on offense? All that kind of stuff. I think that's one of the spots. I think that's maybe a name that um, people are just assuming is on the roster. And I don't necessarily know for sure that that's as locked and set in stone as, as you know, it seemed when, when they first signed him. Okay, Joel A. Erickson is with us here from the Indianapolis Star alongside Nate Atkins, Craig Doyle, their coverage for you there, uh, Colts-related star-wise. Um I know it's not the exact same example, Joel, but they certainly play the same position as Jonathan Taylor. You see Dalvin Cook, he's released, you know, after year three of a five year deal. You see Saquon Barkley currently sitting out as he is franchise tagged, waiting for a longer term deal. Do you think any of those situations have any relevancy towards Jonathan Taylor entering the final year of his rookie contract? Yeah, I do. I, I think I think that that's uh that those those situations are interesting, and without knowing exactly what those those guys are looking for, um, I, I think that there's there's we keep talking about you know Jonathan Taylor getting a long term deal, and and to me a long term deal is four years or more in general, um, you know, it, I, different fans have different definitions. The way I kind of think of it is a, a long term deal is four. Three-year deals you can usually get out of after at least two, um, and so to me that's not necessarily uh, the 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 definition of that. When you know when I've thought about it, the, the deal I keep looking at for running backs is Nick Chubb, which was three years, 
Um, I think he got like twelve million a year with with a chance for more uh, in in a second year deal. I I, I bet teams. My under, I, I would guess that teams want something more like that, where there's a little bit less risk on their end as far as you know the wear and tear that goes on running backs. Now, if you're the player, obviously you want as many years as possible so you can get a bigger signing bonus and and spread that out. And Taylor obviously has the the All Pro year as a year where he's he's been the best back in football. So he's probably wants, well, he's definitely his agent wants, um, you know, to, to maximize that as much as possible. I just wonder with all these guys, if they're looking for years that re- aren't really available at their position anymore. I just, you know, I don't know what Taylor, I, I mean, in terms of the money that he's going to require, Joel, it really depends on where the Colts feel that they are. I mean, I go back to, and I know that I always harp on this, but I think people forget that that you know Anthony Richardson in his first year is going to have Jonathan Taylor behind him, right? Peyton Manning in his yeah. first year had Marshall Falk behind him. Marshall Falk, who who still had two MVPs left in him and a Super Bowl ring, and yet they moved on from him because I don't know if it was as much about money as it was about having like two guys in their prime in the same era because they went with Edron James and he and Peyton were in their prime at the same time. Obviously, Falk still had a lot left in the tank that they didn't necessarily, couldn't prognosticate. But I just feel like Taylor's a wonderful player, a wonderful player. But does it does it not seem like if you were to, to roll with that, that he would be starting to turn the corner of the cliff towards the edge of the cliff right at the time that Richardson needs a running back who is hitting his prime with him. And to me, that's as much an issue as the financial aspect of it. Um, again, if it's a short-term deal, I think I think the, the, the best-case scenario is Nick Chubb. The best-case scenario is, is what Chubb's done in Cleveland, where he got through his first contract, he's played pretty well on his second contract, um, and the contract was not... Not it didn't totally handcuff him. Yeah, it didn't yeah. handcuff. It didn't totally handcuff him. And I, I, the the money part of that, uh, especially with the way you can structure stuff. Now again, the Colts don't generally do this stuff, but like the money part of it with the cap expected to skyrocket. I don't necessarily know that it's going to hurt them as much, especially with like if you think about Richardson being on a rookie deal. Uh, you know, if he's if he's good, he'll get the fifth year option. So you've got four years of a quarterback on a rookie deal, um, essentially going forward. If he's really good. You're probably going to lock him up before that. But if, if even if you look at it that way, you know, if you if you can sign Taylor to a one year deal, then you're sliding that money in when your when your quarterback is cheaper than he should be. Um, and so there's still, I think, the opportunity to. After that first contract, after that first deal, if you, if you feel like you know Taylor is starting to drop off, if you feel like it, you want to get kind of that prime prime type of thing, there'll be opportunity down the line if if you have to do if you want to do that. And so I, I don't necessarily think of it as being as big a deal. Just it's a, for me, the big thing is like how much are you locking yourself in? When can you get out of it? Uh, and will is Taylor willing to take a deal like that? Because that's the hard part here is, you know, Nick Chubb was willing to take a deal that was um, probably less than he wanted and and probably more team-friendly than he wanted. But that seems to be, given the Dalvin Cook situation, the Saquon Barkley situation, you know, some of the other ones around the league, that seems to be where the running back market is. And, you know, are you willing to do that to stay where you are? 
Joel, we get into these debates, okay, you know, how much do you pay a running back? Is Michael Pittman a legit number one? How much do you pay him? And I almost think they're not worthless debates at all, but, you know, when you consider the Colts' finances, they have plenty of room to give these guys whatever contracts they would like. It's not like they are paying. First off, they have cap space that they seem very content to not use on an annual basis. They have cap space right now, certainly, it's not like they're paying Richardson anytime soon. It's not like they're paying a left tackle anytime soon. They're not paying a pass rusher. You know, maybe Quiddy Pay here in a couple of years, but it almost just seems like if they want to do it, and I get the Ballard's pretty stringent market wise, but if they like these guys, which I think they do, I think they will pay them both pretty handsomely. And I think there will be that initial shock when you look at the years and the finances of like, wow, a running back that much? Michael Pittman that much? But I think at the end of the day, it's like, they're not really spending the money anywhere else. Might as well support the young guy. Well, so that is that is a big part of this, too, is, you know, a player's contract matters. Like, how much the contract matters. You, I get that there's an argument about, you know, uh where does it relate to the rest of the NFL? Yeah, market value, yeah. Right, whatever. But also also in terms of in terms of the, the the larger question I think is is this doing anything to keep your franchise from doing what it wants? And I mean, like you said, we we haven't seen major free agent investments. Now I don't I don't think the Colts current contracts are necessarily the reason that you haven't seen that. I think it's more of a philosophical thing. But in terms of re-signing people, with, with the cash space they have going forward, there's plenty of room to slide this in. If they want to sign people, I don't think it'll hinder them from doing that. Um, and as long as Chris Ballard is the general manager and approaches free agency the way he does, um, which I, mean, I think all three of us would say, we'd all like to see him in some form or fashion be more uh, aggressive in free agency. But the way he operates and the way the way they have operated, and on top of that, the way free agent classes keep getting worse, I think that's another piece of this that people don't talk about. Is like it was a garbage free agent class in in the spring in terms of like big names, teams, guys that you should pay a ton of money to. Uh, I don't necessarily know that it, it's a big deal for that. Now, will people be upset? Will people be like, okay, you're not building your team the right way? I think there's that argument is is the right is 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 there's definitely merit to those arguments. But to what you're saying, KB, yeah, they they're going to have a lot of space to fit these guys in, and I don't necessarily know that it's going to keep them from doing something else. Colts going until Thursday, and then kind of unleashed into the wild for a bit, Kevin, and then they resume. They get how much time off? Yeah, what are we thinking, Joel? Twenty fifth, twenty sixth, somewhere around there of July. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. It's always in that. You know, that Wednesday, Thursday, Friday range of that, that last full week of July. Feels like it gets earlier and earlier and earlier. Very uh, curious to see how they handle preseason playing time with those joint practices, but that'll be a topic for a later date. Joel, appreciate it. Yep, yep. Thanks for having me on, guys. Now, this is Jethro Toll, right? Yeah. Little like River Band. Music. That's a better comparison that I get confused with. The Little River Band. How's that? I feel like it's a musical chairs game back in elementary school. <laughs> Just give me some, like, you know, 1970s, like, quiz show theme song. Literally. Excuse Alex me. Golden, talk NBA draft here in a second. Jake, you've heard of pretty much every high school in the state of Indiana right now? 
Well, that would have been true like a year ago. Every time I turn around and look now, there's an abandoned marsh at some new academy. Okay, one of the leaders in the Boys Golf State Finals right mm-hmm. now attends Trinity School at Greenlaw. Okay. At, at Greenlaw? So we've got Fairfield, So that was Plainfield, what that is, is the, the Green Law Firm closed, and there's a strip Carmel, mall somewhere. You are a everywhere. huge nerd. Where do you think Trinity School of Green Law is? Like I said, in the abandoned Green Law Firm that somebody opened up and decided to make it an academy. According to Wikipedia, it's a private... Bring your voucher and class starts Tuesday. Private Christian school located in South Bend, grades 6 through 12, funded by the People of Praise in 19... 19- 81 with fewer than 30 students mm-hmm. since it attracts students from northwest indiana and southwest michigan as well as international students currently enrollment well, now wait a minute it's got 12. how many kids uh well in 81 it had fewer than 30 <laughs> from international michigan and indiana now well, it's like up to five each 252 grades 6 through 12 uh care to guess their mascot the trinity school at Greenlawn? uh the crusaders trojans oh mark nfl mascot Vikings. Knights. No, no, Saints. Saints. The Tennessee Titans. Damn it. <laughs> it's a Christian school. Mark, watch your mouth. Are you allowed to say that, Mark? First you break out a prophylactic, and now you're going with foul language. <laughs> I don't think I busted out of that. Alex anything. Golden setting the pace as the podcast. Sure, this he's is thrilled to be joining us a now. a busy time of year. We are nine days out from the NBA draft. Alex, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. How are we doing? <laughs> We are doing great. Uh, thank you for the time this morning. All right, number seven. Uh, would you rather see a trade for a, for a veteran or a trade up to number two or three? Yeah, if I'm trading seven, I'm probably wanting to trade up if I can. Uh, so that that would be my dream there. But I also wonder maybe you just stay at seven instead of trading out for a veteran. It's, just, it's an interesting conversation. But uh, if you can, if you can trade up, that that's always enticing, especially if there's a guy you like. So, Alex, I believe, and I want your thought on this. Uh, it is my understanding, just in kind of sniffing around a little bit, that the Pacers have resigned themselves to the fact that to move up beyond seven, it would cost them too important a piece that they already have in existence that they don't want to part with. So they're going to stick where they are. Yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much agree with that. I think that with so much smoke being out that the Pacers are looking to move up, it does make me wonder a little bit if that's not going to happen now because usually when there's a lot of smoke, you don't usually see that. And so I'm sure they've made phone calls, and I'm sure those teams probably released that information to try and get other bidders up there as well. But, yeah, I mean, it makes sense for other Pacers who want to move up if they really like somebody. But, yeah, I think that at that point, if they do have to move up, you kind of – taking a step back in terms of where you at uh, in terms of trying to build this team up and Tyrese Halliburton just said I think it was on Friday on Twitter that the goal for him next year is to make the playoffs so that would not be in the direction of making the playoffs if they do that kind of move and I think here's the thing this is my educated opinion okay and that is that I believe the Pacers love Brandon Miller I think he's the guy that they looked at in the top three picks, for example, and said that that's who we would love to have. And I think it's been very clear that Brandon Miller now is – it has been equally made clear that he is not going to fall past two. And I think it's Charlotte that has two, and they're like, that's who they're taking. And so Indiana's like, okay, we're out. That that, that answered the question for us. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I don't know that 
but that just appears to be the case. But moving forward from that, would you agree with this? They can still get a really good player for what they need at seven, and it appears as though those are the guys they're working out. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And I'll just say real quick with Charlotte, like, yeah, it seems like Brandon Miller is the guy, but all season last year, everybody thought Jabari Smith was going one to Orlando. So I would not be shocked if Scoot Henderson goes two to Charlotte. But uh, I think that they're just trying to keep it tied up and uh, try to figure out the best way to go about uh, getting trade offers. But I will say this in terms of seven, I do think there's a lot of interesting prospects that could fall to seven. And that's why it, it's really up in the air who's going to be there because after the top three, it feels like four to nine, it's, it's very interchangeable. So it's smart to bring these guys in here. Clearly, if you're looking fit-wise, you need a power forward. So that's why you've seen a lot of mocks frequently draft, uh, have them taking either Jairus Walker or Taylor Hendricks, which have both had individual workouts, surprisingly, on the same day. So I think the Pacers are very well aware of that, and I think that they like a lot of the guys in that area. But at the same time, they're just not in that same tier as Brandon Miller, and that's been pretty well stated by both Chad Buchanan and Kevin Pritchard. So I, I, I think that they're going to find good talent there, but it's one of those things where I don't know if you're going to find an all-star in this draft at seven. You could. You never know. But it doesn't seem like the ceiling for a lot of these guys that potentially could be there at that power four position really scream, hey, they have all-star potential. Setting the Pace is the podcast for Alex Golden. Does a great job covering the Pacers. He's with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Alex, I want to stick with this hypothetical about trading up for just a second. What would make Charlotte say, hmm, like create a trade package for me? I'm not saying that the Pacers would say yes to this, but what do you think a trade package would look like to go from 7-2 to two that Charlotte would at least think about? That's a great question. Um, off the top of my head, it's kind of hard to come up with. Like, I know last time I was on here, right after the draft lottery, I was talking about Mathering as a trade piece, but I don't I don't think the pace is moving off of him. Yeah, I wanted to slash your tires after you said that. I, I know, and it's, it's one of those things where it feels like that's what teams would probably be asking for. I don't think the Pacers would do it. I think so. Would it be like seven, twenty six, twenty nine, a future first, and a Matherin? Uh, take out Matherin, throw in Turner. Would that do it? I, I think you're probably looking at Turner, uh, probably Duarte, potentially Nimhard, and then you're looking at seven and probably a future pick, unprotected next year, something like that. Because um, I always kind of go back to what. Dallas did with Atlanta when they traded up to get Luka Doncic at three. They basically just traded next year's pick unprotected and swapped picks. Well, that was only moving up two spots. Now you're talking about moving up five spots. So I think that that's a little bit more of a haul that you're going to have to give up. I think Turner's going to have to be involved in any deal uh, and when you look at moving up in the draft because these teams that are moving up or moving back, I should say, they're looking for talent that can help them right now. And with Steve Clifford being a defensive-minded coach, I can see him really being enticed by the defensive potential of having Miles and Nimhart and Duarte, who, when he was healthy, he was a pretty solid defender. So I could I could see them being intrigued by that and then finding somebody at four uh, at seven. But I don't think twenty six and twenty nine are too appealing to them because that just creates a lot of uh, roster spots they're going to have to figure out. So, but they could get off a contract like a Gordon Hayward who's expiring, or they could try to move off of a Terry Rozier who's got a couple more years left on his deal, and that could be. Another way to look at trying to trade back is if we get off this contract as well and, and, and kind of solidify ourselves in the future moving forward. I think the piece that is the deal breaker for Indiana is the discussions that they've had with various franchises. As soon as Halliburton's name comes up, Indiana hangs the phone up. 
Alabama's not going anywhere. Well, I understand, but what I'm saying is, in the discussions that I think Indiana has had with other franchises about moving into the top three, Halliburton is the name that is from the other side that has said, if you want us to continue the conversation, let's discuss Halliburton, and that's the end of the conversation. Understandably so, right? I mean, understandably so. But that's, you know, that's the piece clearly Indiana's going to build around, and I think Matherin is probably... To me, Alex, Matherin you have to run with because he is a player that has shown that he has, you know, that he can play, and so... You go with a known quantity based on his age at this point to go with Halliburton, and you you add on to that. Yeah, well, it's very similar to to last year. You know, like everybody was like, "Well, we can't trade Duarte." It was all rookie second team, and then kind of fell out of the rotation. But I think with Matter, it's totally different because he was, you know, showcasing the starter towards the end of the season. Made all rookie first team really showed a lot of things that the Pacers have needed for a while, and that's someone that's got a little bit of a dog in him that's not afraid of the moment and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think Matherin has too much talent right now to just punt on him after year one. So that would be a very difficult trade to make, and I I wouldn't do it personally. But, yeah, Uh, going back to Halliburton, I mean, I think if you're looking at this draft class, I don't even know. I mean, you can maybe say Brandon Miller might become better than Halliburton in his career, but that's not a guarantee. So there's no way – and I'm trading Halliburton uh, to, to get up into the top three. The only person I would even trade Halliburton for is Wimbledon Yama. We know the Spurs aren't doing that. So, um, but I don't think the Pacers would be that. I'm just saying, talent-wise, I, I can't see any scenario where you give up Halliburton for anybody in this draft. Correct. No, that's correct. Alex Golden with us. It's Alex Golden NBA on Twitter. He joins us on the Payless Slickers Hotline, setting the paces, the podcast here covering the Pacers. You were kind of hitting at this a little bit earlier, but I, I, I do want to get into that 26, 29, 32 range. Again, 26 and 29 fall in the first round. Pacers have those picks. 32 is early in the second. Give us two to three names in that area, Alex, that. Again, I, I, I know it's not frequent that you see hits there, but I mean the Pacers had a hit in that range last year. You see NBA teams, you know, certainly that have uh, gone on deep playoff runs. Toronto had a late, a lot of late first round hits. You know, Golden State had some. Draymond Green, Jordan Poole in that area. Give us two to three names in that area that intrigue you. If the Pacers stay there and make one of those selections, twenty six, twenty nine, thirty two. Yeah, I think the first one I'm going to go with is Gigi Jackson, someone the Pacers brought in. Youngest player in the draft. A lot of red flags for how he handled things at South Carolina. Completely understand all of that. But I think that the upside is there. I think there's a ton of potential there. And if I'm the Pacers... Will you get into those red flags, if you don't mind? Yeah, well, he kind of had some outbursts with his coaching staff. Um, Went on Instagram Live and kind of called his coaching staff out. Uh, for not liking the way things are going. And other than that, I really don't think there was a whole lot, but that's that's a big red flag. Just like immaturity. I think that's a big one there. And it's like, I think the Pacers, if you had asked me this question two years ago, they would not have had the infrastructure to handle someone like this. But I think recently, with bringing on Halliburton and Rick Carlisle and kind of re-solidifying this roster, I think that they are in a much better spot now to handle someone like this, where they, they could be patient with them, not ask them to come in right away, but give him two or three years and this guy could be a major contributor for this team because there's a ton of upside. I think he was the number one ranked uh, high school student coming into this uh, class before it reclassified. Um, So if he would have actually came in, I think he was supposed to be a senior in high school last year when he came into this, uh, 
this year at uh, South Carolina, it was just very immature. But he's got a great background. Like I think his dad's a pastor. He just he gets it a lot. I just he gets a lot of things. But I just feel like just immature. I mean, at, at eight, 17 years old, eighteen years old, I think we all are probably doing a lot of dumb stuff. So he's a name that I'm really intrigued with. Uh, some of the other guys they brought in, and one guy they actually have coming in today that I'm pretty intrigued by is uh, Olivier Maxens Prosper. He had a really good combine. I think that he's someone that fits that wing mold that could make a lot of sense. They've been bringing in a lot of wings. And then lastly, this is just someone I'm intrigued by because I feel like they could tighten up their center position. And I just believe in his game. I think he's actually going to be a pretty good pro. And that's Trish Jackson Davis uh, from IU. And it's not even me being a homer IU thing because I get that a lot. But we had a draft analyst come on our show, and he said every single year that we talk about Trace in the draft, I just don't see it for him. He said, but this year I'm to the point He's improved so much every single year and just gotten better and better that I believe he's going to end up being uh, one of those guys when you do a redraft that he's like a top 15, top 20 pick because he's just he just gets it and he's got a great feel for the game. So those are the three names that I'm pretty intrigued by at that, at that spot. Yeah, what I was told on Trace Jackson Davis after his workout was uh, does what he does th- very well and has really improved in the areas that he has not been credited for. So that would, I would assume, mean shooting. So, um, and then it was, you know, basically twenty-eight to thirty-five, which is right around where the Pacers are going to pick. So, Alex, I don't think you're off base in the fact that he's a possibility there, right? Um, yeah. Alex Golden, our guest on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Aside from the draft, and I don't know, and I'm assuming, haven't really done a deep dive on this, Alex, but but I'm assuming that they're going to wait till after the draft to kind of figure out where their roster lies. But where do things stand in terms of the free agents the Pacers have and whether or not they would have an interest in retaining any of them? Yeah, so your, your free agents right now are George Hill, James Johnson, and O'Shea Brissett. And I so think Brissett would probably George, be the only, right? I don't even know if O'Shea makes a lot of sense to come back, in my personal opinion. I think it's just too much of a crowded room there. I think the only one that makes sense to me is bringing back one of the vets just to kind of, like I said earlier, keep that uh, infrastructure kind of stabilized. And I think at this point in their careers, George Hill has more to offer than James Johnson as that third-string point guard combo guard that can do a little bit more. So, uh, and the Tyson, Indiana, of course. So I think that George Hill probably is the only one that I really think has a great chance of coming back. I know O'Shea is very good friends with Tyrese Halliburton, and that could be more of a factor than I'm giving him credit for. But at the same time, I just feel like O'Shea is a good young player. I just don't know where the playing time is going to come in at. So for me, I think that's that. And I think Kendall Brown, I think he's a, a free agent. But I, I anticipate Kendall Brown being back on, on a two-way deal. I don't think he'll be uh, on the roster. I, w- I wouldn't give him a roster spot yet. I just don't think that that's uh, – he hasn't had a fair shake yet to kind of prove himself, but he hasn't shown enough either to get it. And then Gabe York's the other guy on the two-way contract. I-, I think that they'll kind of do what they did last year, wait them and bring somebody else on from the draft uh, on that two-way spot as well. But, yeah, overall, I just – I don't I only think there's only one free agent that comes back out of the five. Alex, last one from me. Wings, three, four position, defensive-minded. We've heard that endlessly, very understandably, of the biggest need for the Pacers entering this offseason. What would you put second on the list in terms of skill set, positional need? Great question. Um, they've really got to figure out their backup five position, in my opinion. I know Isaiah Jackson's got a lot of upside, but I still feel like we're a little ways away. They've got enough point guards. I think they've got enough scores. Um, 
it's it's really like you know wings is what they need the most I, it's hard to overemphasize it but it's really the case like they need threes and fours that can guard multiple positions but I think that Daniel Tice serviceable big man he's not going to be here probably long term Jalen Smith he really thought of the rotation it's just I, I don't see a great backup five to Miles and at the same point you got to remember Miles is still only under contract for the next two years so if you really believe that Isaiah is going to be that guy, then we really got to see him take those steps forward the next two years, or you're looking at another probably extension for Miles and then still trying to find that backup five. So I just think that, to me, uh, is where I'm at, even though we have a lot of centers on the roster. I think they just got to find something that they can trust a little bit more, especially if they want to be a playoff team. Alex Golden NBA, a week from Thursday, the madness will begin. Now the finals is over, all attention on the draft and then free agency to follow. The NBA wastes no time with their offseason. <laughs> Things get rampant here very, very quickly. Alex, thank you, man. Yeah, thank you all so much for having me on. And I uh, just want to give a couple shout-outs real quick before I go. Uh, obviously, Bob Kravitz let go by the Athletic. I just want to give him a shout-out and just say, uh, you know, one of the nicest people that I've interacted with since doing the podcast, just very supportive and uh, wishing him nothing but the best. And then my in-laws are celebrating their 25th anniversary today. So got to give them a happy anniversary shout out while I'm on here. Now, hold on. Their names? Uh, Mark and Eileen. Mark and what was the other one? Eileen. So like Eileen with an A at the end. So Eileen. Mark and Eileen. Happy 25th wedding anniversary. How about that? Thank you for both of those shout-outs. Alex, have a good one, man. All right, thanks, guys. It is 16 minutes before the hour of 10 o'clock in Indianapolis. For that matter, it's 16 minutes before the hour of 10 o'clock everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone. Joining us now on the Payless Sickers Hotline, she is a friend of the show who I believe is mom to Gary. I think that was the name of the dog who's made cameos that I love on the program. But she is the NBA draft analyst for Yahoo Sports. Kristen Peake joins us. Uh, Kristen, first off, good morning. Thanks for the time. I know it's a busy time of year for you, obviously. Yes, good morning. You know what? I'm. Um, <laughs> that made me a little homesick because I'm currently in Colorado. I was not in Denver for the Game 5 um, clincher that the Nuggets had, but I'm here in Colorado for the uh, the U19 USA basketball tryout. So even though it's draft season, like I'm still on the road. The NBA scouts were in the gym. So you mentioning Gary, I'm like, oh, can't wait to get home tomorrow. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Named after Gary Harris by any chance, Kristen, from a local angle here? Can I I honestly tell you, like I, I just love human names for dogs. But I ran into, I don't know if I told you guys this story before, but I ran into Gary Trent Jr. at a run, like a summer run at UCLA last year. And I was like, hey, GT, how's it going? He's like, great, KP, good to see you. Um, did you name your dog after me? <laughs> like he, he thought I was like, I was like, oh, sure, Gary Trent Jr. Yes, I named my dog after you. Well, yes. if you have another dog and you name it Trent, then all of a sudden there's going to be some real I suspicion, yeah. right? I, exactly. I, I, I was hesitant. We, we named our son Max, and I, I told my wife, I was like, gosh, don't you think Max is the most common human dog name out there? So I was hesitant <laughs> on it from that standpoint. But Probably is. Right? right? But Max be up there. Is, now he's my little dog, right? Hey, Kristen, yeah. um, I'm going to begin with this. We we obviously know who is going to go number one overall. Everyone knows that. Yes. It, it seems to me that we are honing in. Are we prepared yet to say that it is almost a foregone conclusion that Brandon Miller goes number two, or is that still up for debate? I think that's still up for debate. I think there's some smoke there. 
um, you know, from different reports that we're hearing, and that that's the time of year, right? Like, it's the wild, wild west for Intel. We saw Shams tweet out yesterday that the New Orleans Pelicans are trying to trade up to number two so they can get Scoot Henderson. So that you're going to start seeing a lot of different reports. From For me, it's like I, every day I go back and forth. And if I'm doing that as just a draft analyst who has been following both these players for a very long time, I know that's exactly what the front office is doing. So is Brandon Miller the better fit on paper? Yes, you can slide him on the wing, the perimeter alongside LaMelo Ball. But Scoot Henderson is definitely, I think in my eyes, the better prospect. So if you're going for best available and then you put him in the backcourt with LaMelo and you try to make it work, I think there's still debate for that. Do you think, because I do believe, Kristen, that Indiana at this point has resigned themselves to the fact they're going to stay at seven. I think they're okay with that. Assuming they do, do you believe that Indiana, because you raise a really interesting point there, do the Pacers go with best prospect or best fit? They have some options, right? I, I think they're in a really good spot at seven because, you know, you're looking at other players that could potentially be off the board are a lot of guards. Uh, we're talking about Amen, Asar Thompson, and Cam Whitmore, possibly Anthony Black. So if Jairus Walker is still there at seven and he can help with some front court need, then I think, you know, they're in a great spot. But if he's off the board, then you, and if you see like a Cam Whitmore, or if you see one of the Thompson twins fall, who, you know, could be potential all-stars coming up, then, you know, then it becomes like, okay, now do we go for best available or do we take a swing at a player like Taylor Hendricks, who is projecting to be, you know, like a three and D positionalist guy. But I think seven is a little bit high for Taylor. He's more at the back half of the lottery. So if Jarris is off the board, I think that's where it becomes interesting. Kristen, I want to get to Jarris Walker and Taylor Hendricks in just a second. Ironically, the Patriots had both of them work out for them on the same day last week. Uh, but I don't know how much you pay attention to it. And this might be a little bit more NFL draft-centric, but you're certainly one that pays a ton of attention to the NBA draft. I remember leading in the NFL draft. It got to like mid-April, and we're like, oh my gosh, these storylines are just exhausting, and you feel like just people are kind of creating narratives just to do it. If you have seen an NBA draft storyline that you just disagree with, like no other what would that be as we are now nine days out of the draft i mean it's got to be chris livingston getting a promise like this is a this is a player he was a five-star recruit coming into kentucky he did not do anything at kentucky i think he averaged under five points per game he's not i mean it wasn't one he didn't have an injury and all of a sudden he's with clutch and you got rich paul out there shopping him around for a guarantee and rich is claiming oh i've never had a player with a two-way and so now all of us are like, you know, covering the draft. We're like, is he going to get a guarantee? Like, <laughs> who's going to take Chris Livingston with guaranteed money? So it's stuff like that that you start hearing where it's like he just comes out of nowhere. Um, and you you, you don't want to believe it, but then you see who's saying it. And it's Rich Paul and the poll he has in the league. And so you're like, okay, well, where is he going to fall? Like, who's going to give him guaranteed money? So that, to me right now, is a storyline where I'm like, eh. I don't know if I believe it, but I want to say he worked out for the Pacers very close to when that um, that storyline came out. And Kristen Peak, Yahoo Sports, with us here on the Payless Lickers Hotline, covers the draft. Does an outstanding job. Um, let's go back to Jarris Walker, Taylor Hendricks. I, I, 
I've told our listeners, Kristen, I think if either of their name gets called at 7 coming up a week from Thursday, given how the Pacers' current construction looks, I think they should be very happy. Um, if you don't mind, share a little bit more on, on what you've observed in Walker and Hendricks. Absolutely. For Jarris, I mean, this is a player. He came from a winning program in high school from IMG Academy, and there's players in that draft class that were teammates of him. Um, Jet Howard was his teammate. Keontae George was his teammate. So he knows how to win. And he's also, you know, one of the best locker room guys. He's very vocal in practice. Um, He's very easy to get along with. And also, he's a unit. I think he's probably has the most NBA-ready body. I saw him at the Combine, and he looks even bigger in the best way possible. I mean, he's 6'8", 245-ish. Um, and, you know, he's got the defensive versatility, which is what I think a lot of teams look at and they, they covet. And also, you know, um, even though he's not the biggest guy in terms of height wise, but he's got the size to be able to bang down low and the quickness and the, and the footwork to slide out on the perimeter, his offensive game, you know, he needs, he's fine in the mid range. He needs to extend it past three point line, but I've seen him hit threes in high school. He didn't do it a lot in Houston, but I think that was more of the system. So I think that's why teams would favor him over a player like Taylor Hendricks. And mind you, like I think they're two completely different players, but they're also two players with a ton of upside. Like Taylor has a little more length at six foot nine. He's more of that three and D guy. He's a great rebounder. Um, he can knock down the three point. You can extend him to the stretch four, and he's still young. I mean, this is a guy from UCF Central Florida. In high school, he played with more or big-time players, you know, like Bryce Sensabaugh, who's in the draft, uh, Dylan Mitchell, who decided to go back to Texas but was a five-star recruit, so his touches were limited. And then when he was given the keys, he was able just to shine. And, like, I, I don't even think people realize how good he's going to be. Like, he still has tremendous upside. Kristen, one player that I have heard mentioned as a riser through the process here is Jalen Hood Shafino. I notice you still you have him in your mock going fifteenth, which is about where originally I think he was set. Any chance he rises above that two part question. And the second would be you do have Trace Jackson Davis mocked with Indiana to the Pacers at thirty two. Is that just because you get to a point then where you're just ranking the players based on on their ranking, or do you think that that is a fit that Indiana is looking to fill and Trace Jackson Davis offers something they like? Right. With Jalen Hushafino, I think a lot is going to come down to his workouts and his interviews with the teams. Um, you know, I can't really get a gauge on him. I was talking to a few scouts and front office executive, executives yesterday at the U19 tryouts, and that's a name where it's like, we don't know where he's going to fall. He's working out for teams anywhere from 8 to 20. So I think that's an indication that his agent at CAA doesn't know where he's going to fall either. So but what he can bring to a table, like it wouldn't shock me if he went 10. It went to the Mavericks. It wouldn't shock me if he went 19 to the Miami Heat. You know, like it's it's all about for him best fit. And I don't think he's stressed out about it at all. Like he is a solid guard. He's a playmaker. He plays bigger than his size. He's great off the pick and roll. But I think it's the workouts that are really going to, you know, put him in a position in terms of what team is going to take them within that range, within that like 10 to 20 range. And for Trace Jackson Davis, of course I'm going to mock him to Indiana. <laughs> like, like that to me, like if he's going to be in that 28 to 32 range and he's there 
at 32. This is a four-year player. He can come in. He can give solid minutes. He's a great locker room guy, you know, um, plays the right way. And, you know, we saw it with Miami and the run that they made with guys that were kind of off the cusp. They weren't that one-and-done talent. And I think Trace is kind of that glue guy. So if he's there at 32, I mean, it's it's both. It's best fit and it's best available prospect. Could he go in? Could he sneak into the first round in the low 20s? I don't think the low 20s. I think probably, I mean, in the late 20s. For well, that's what I mean. Team. By low 20s, I mean yeah, late, yeah. 28, 29, yeah, yeah. somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, um, he is a late round, early second round projection. Um, it only takes one team, right? Like, we've seen it year in and year out. We saw... Um, Cam Johnson go 11 to the Phoenix Suns, like, and surprise everyone. We're seeing Bilal Koulibaly, Victor Wembanyama's teammate, skyrocket to the lottery because of what he's done in the Pro-A Finals um, over in France. So it's all, I mean, it, we're in the last 10 days of it, so there's going to be a lot of movement. There's going to be a lot of chatter. But for a player like Trace, I think it's just, you know, he's in that sweet spot um, between late first round and early second. Again, Kristen Peak, NBA draft expert from Yahoo Sports with us here. Kristen, last one, and I don't think I'm catching you off guard because you just tell, told us you were at the U.S. Uh, U19 trials out there. Two people of local interest that have made the first cut. Uh, Purdue fans have to be thrilled to see Miles Colvin, who will be a freshman at Purdue coming up this year, and then a Purdue commit, Kanan Catchings, here locally out of Brownsburg, obviously the nephew of Tamika Catchings. Um, both of them made the first cut, so they're in the final 18 as they pick a 12-man team that will represent the U.S. at the U19 um, tournament coming up here in Hungary later this summer. Uh, any observations? I don't know how much you're, you are allowed to watch, Kristen, but any observations? Have you seen anything of Colvin or Catchings? Yeah, I'll say this. Colvin has really surprised me just um, in his playmaking and versatility. I didn't expect that from him. And, you know, this team is, it's so funny because I was there the first two days when it was the whole group there. And then all of a sudden, yesterday morning, the NBA scouts showed up and it was like the intensity picked up. Everyone was making shots. Everyone was making the right plays. And I had to tell the scouts, I was like, I feel like I need to tell you guys that this is the best that they've played so far. So, like, you guys are making an impact. And and one of the scouts said to me, they're like, yeah, I walked in. I was super excited about this group. Like, they're they're making shots. Are they playing with a smaller ball? Every shot is going in. So it was just one of those days, and those two really did shine. And I think it, it bodes well for both of them that they're kind of older or in the middle of that group because you do have some younger guys, you know, still there trying to make the team that are five-star prospects. But um, yeah, it's a good group. I, it's so funny to me because usually for any USA basketball tryout, I can pinpoint who the best player is on the team so far. And not that this is a bad thing, but I'm still struggling to do that. I mean, you got Kylan Boswell, the Arizona point guard. You got uh, Dylan Harper, who is a five-star prospect, one of the best incoming senior guards. And they're all playing very well. So I think it's going to be a fun group. Kristen, great stuff. Uh, say hi to Gary for us when you see him here <laughs> later this week, and uh, enjoy next Thursday. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me.